Well done. Um, I'm Gareth. It's great to see you all this morning, and particularly if I don't know you, um, welcome to Christchurch Ford. It's, uh, it's fantastic uh, to have you here. I want to ask you a question. How do you act at parties? How do you act at parties? Um, let me guess and see if I get it right. Um, uh, generally, people act cool at parties. Now, this will, you know, how you act cool will depend on who you are and, and who you're with. So, if you're going to a party with your extremely trendy hip mates, um, then you may act like this. Some of you may not act like that, <laughs> but some of you may. Uh, maybe if you uh, are with your business colleagues, um, you'd act something like this to be cool. Good afternoon. How's business? Have you heard about the project I'm on? It's going to be an amazing success. <laughs> and if there are some good-looking ladies there... Yo, babe, how you doing? Check out the gun show. Yeah, there's, there's a few people pointing. He does that. Somebody does it down there. Guys. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah we, we will act cool when we go to parties. Um, uh, one thing, though, you definitely won't do when you go to parties is uh, tell somebody that you're struggling. Uh, you won't announce that things are going wrong. So you won't hear people at parties saying... I'm a bit... I'm a bit fed up at the moment. You know, money is tight and, and things just aren't going well with my wife. I'm really worried what's going to happen. In fact, what we tend to do is focus on other people's problems to hide our own. So this is a conversation you may find at parties. Come here, come here. Have you heard about Fred? Isn't it terrible? I would never do anything like that. Let's be glad that we're not like Fred. Why can't he be more like us? Thank you, Julian. Well done. Um, uh, we do, at, at parties generally, what we do is we hide our bad bits and we impress what we think are our good bits on people. If you carefully think about what you're like at parties, then it probably highlights the things that you are most bothered about. And if I'm honest with you, the thing that I'm most bothered about is me. Uh, often the thing that we're most bothered about is ourselves. And how we act at parties highlights that. Um, let me introduce you to somebody. This is uh, Worried William. There he is. He's looking pretty worried. Um, uh, now, Worried William, um, like a lot of us, is a little bit bothered about how he acts with other people. Um, see if you can spot something of yourself in how worried William feels. Um, he, um, he worries that he gets uncontrollably cross with some people. People who really peck at his head and bug him. He's worried about that. Why does he get so cross with them? Um, uh, William is worried about the moaning he does. You know, there are some things in church which he's just not quite happy with. They're not big things or anything like that, but he can't help himself. He just, he just comes out and in an unhelpful way and he sort of moans. He can't keep his mouth shut and he's worried about that. He also has this niggling concern about how he often looks at other people and thinks, you know what, I'm much better than they are. 
Um, they don't struggle, they struggle in ways that I, I never struggle. He looks at what people do and he thinks, I could do things much better than they do. Um, and what about this? William finds some people in church a little bit annoying and hard to be with. Um, maybe they're the people that God puts on his heart to invite round every now and again. He sort of sees them and they look a bit lonely and you know they're a little bit hard to be with. Um, so he'll invite them round... But then he ignores that thought, and it very quickly disappears from his mind. It worries him. Um, William worries why he can't bring himself to do the things that God wants him to do. Why he can't use the gifts that he's got. William worries that he's just a little bit lazy sometimes, and maybe occasionally unhelpfully underconfident. Um, And other times, he's exactly the opposite. Um, he, uh, he wants everybody to know what he's good at. And he bigs himself up and he's a bit of a show-off. But it worries him. Uh, are you a little bit like worried William sometimes? William knows he gets it wrong. And my guess is, like many of us, he's looking for some help. You know, what, what, what can I do to change those things? This, though, is ignorant Ian. There he is. Ignorant Ian. Who's somebody's... Boo! Yes. Um, yeah, I- ignorant Ian. He's got all the same issues as William has. Problem is, he doesn't know it. He just doesn't know it. His conscience just tweaks every now and again with some of the things that he does, but he just carries on with life. Putting himself first, coming to church, making sure he looks cool, and thinking that everything is okay. That's ignorant Ian. Now, both worried William and ignorant Ian could do with listening to 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible reading that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, writes to Christopher Corinthian. Now, uh, those of you who have been around for the last few weeks uh, will know Christopher Corinthian quite well. Uh, But just in case you don't and you haven't been here, uh, let me fill you in on him. I think I've got some slides for this. There he is. Okay. Um, you can find, reading the whole of the letter, all these things uh, about Christopher. Christopher's a bit of a big head who boasts about himself. He even boasts about some of the bad things that he does occasionally. He's not patient with other people. He's even been known to take his Christian brothers to court. Uh, he insists on eating meat in a way that causes other people to stumble, just because he wants to eat it like that. Um, he acts rudely, doesn't wear the right head coverings in church, and he takes communion without thinking about other people or waiting for them to turn up. Christopher is often envious and jealous of other people's gifts while bigging up the things that he's good at himself. Sometimes Christopher thinks that the church would be better off without some people. It'd be just much nicer if it was him and his friends. That's Christopher Corinthian. William, Ian, and Christopher have got something vital missing. Like uh, cake without sugar, or bread without yeast, or crisps without salt. There is something vital missing. So what is it that's missing? What is it that Christopher, Ian, and William need to learn? Because if we can find that out, then maybe it would help us when we feel in a similar situation to them. Um, 1 Corinthians is a letter, I've already said that, from Paul, one of Jesus' followers, to a place called Corinth. That's why it's Corinthians, and it's, uh, if you want to know, 
Your geography, here you go. There it is. Oh, oh, this happened last time, you know. I'm so rubbish with these PowerPoint things. We'll go back. There you go. There you go. That's where Corinth is. And it's in Greece. Greece. And um, it's, it's a letter uh, that um, probably is a reply to a letter they sent to him asking him all sorts of questions. Um, but the bit we're going to read today is a very famous bit. You might have heard it read at weddings. You might have heard it quoted in romantic cards. But... This bit of 1 Corinthians is actually about as far from lovey-dovey as you can get. Really, it's a big telling off for the Corinthians who think they have so much but are missing something vital. So, um, I think uh, Lizzie's going to come and read our first little bit. If you want to find it um, in your Bibles, it is page 1153. 1153 in the Bibles, if you've got one in the pew in front of you. If you haven't, turn around and get one, there'll be some around. Um, Now, while we're reading this passage, see if you can spot the thing that the Corinthians are missing. It's not difficult, there have been plenty of clues so far, Um, but we're going to read verses 1 to 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Thank you very much. So, Christopher Corinthian is a pretty cool Christian. I don't know whether you spotted it there, but you could actually say that Christopher and his mates are spectacular Christians. Uh, Verse 1 tells us they can speak in tongues. They can speak in languages they don't normally speak in, in a supernatural way. Amazing. Um, Verse 2 tells us that they can prophesy. They can suss out the things that God wants people to know. It tells us in verse 2 as well that they've got faith. They trust God for lots of things. And then in verse 3 we find that they are willing to sacrifice stuff. Uh, The Corinthians, they're not without a penny or two, and they've been giving money away. Fantastic. How cool, eh? No, says Paul. No, you're not cool at all. You can think you're really cool. You can have all the gifts in the world, but without one vital missing ingredient, you are useless. And he makes the point three times in this passage. He says to them, look, let me show you how you can be gifted and yet useless. So, um... You, uh, you speak in different languages. Yeah, oh, that's great. But you know what? Even if you spoke in the languages of angels, he says in verse 1, without love you are... really loud, like a clanging gong, and actually quite annoying. I mean, it's useless for anything, isn't it? And actually it gets very annoying if it carries on, Julian. Thank you very much. But it makes the point, doesn't it? It's just loud and annoying. He says, look, you can prophesy, can you, Chris? You can, you, you can trust God. Well, even if you know deep, deep mysteries, even if you have the faith that could move mountains, without love, you are nothing. Zilch, nada, forget it. You're, you're zero. You can sacrifice all you want, says Paul, even going as far as becoming martyrs and killed, being burnt at the stake, burnt by flames, it says in verse 3. But if you're without love, you gain nothing. So, let's see if we can do this. 
What is the vital ingredient? Great. They've learnt something today. That's fantastic. Yeah, love. Love works underneath all our Christian talents and gifts to give it that special, different flavour. Now, for the Corinthians, um, it was pretty spectacular gifts, as we've said. But it doesn't always have to be spectacular ones. Different churches will have different gifts. Some of them will have spectacular, some of them won't. Uh, For our church, it's probably like to be something like um, knowing our Bibles really well. You know, we're able to tell Bible stories to our friends. We're able to quote verses at them. But you know what? If we take that gift of knowing our Bibles really well and we add a generous helping of love, then what could have been a lecture suddenly becomes a shared experience of learning about God. Um, Sometimes we're quite good in our church at pointing out what other people get wrong. Um, And that can be a gift, actually, spotting those sort of things. But you know what? If we take some love and add a pinch of love to that situation, then discipline suddenly becomes discipleship. If you, uh, whatever your responsibilities are, uh, whatever job you do, whatever talents and gifts you have, stir in some love then all those things which could have been useless become extremely useful. Love is the vital ingredient. How to be gifted and useless? Get rid of love. Let's see what happens. Useless. Absolutely useless. But what sort of love are we talking about here? Um, uh, Let's see what the Bible says again, shall we? Lizzie, can we have you out again? We're going to look at the next little bit in this passage and see if you can work out why Paul would choose to describe love in this way to the Corinthians, knowing what they're like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Thank you very much. Now, I've got a theory. Um, I think, I've got lots of theories, but this is just one of them. Um, I think that people um, uh, love generally because they get something back. We don't just love for the sake of loving. Uh, We love because we get something back. Have a think about it. Um, You love your parents because they put a roof over your head, they give you your pocket money, uh, they feed you. Uh, We love our friends, because they like us back. Uh, We love our boss. You may not love your boss, I love my boss, because they pay us. Uh, We uh, love our husbands, uh, and our wives, and our boyfriends, and our girlfriends, uh, because uh, they are kind to us, they look after us, they give us gifts, they might even give us a, a kiss every now and again. We often only love because we get something out of it for ourselves. And Christopher Corinthian and his mates have the same problem. So Paul, in his letter, picks out the particular bits of love that will help them to think of others before themselves. He picks out the particular bits of love that will help them to think of others before themselves. I've put them all on here. There they are. You've seen them once already, but never mind. Um, Be kind and protective. Don't don't boast or be envious and proud. He says, loving people don't get angry and they're not rude. Love is a vital ingredient. As soon as you take love, uh, this sort of love, real love, away from the gifts and talents that you have, then all of a sudden, 
becomes selfish. How to be gifted and selfish. Have not love. However, if you add a generous helping of this sort of love um, to your charitable giving, say, well, all of a sudden, something that could have been a boast becomes real generosity. Um, uh, How about if you have one of those situations at home where things are really tough, people aren't getting on? Well, add a pinch of love to that, and you'll find that what could have been hatred very quickly turns to a possibility of forgiveness. Um, If you stir in love to all that you do, uh, then you'll find that instead of being selfish, you become selfless. How to be gifted and useless? Well, get rid of love. How to be gifted and selfish? Get rid of love. But there's one more thing our friends need to know about this vital ingredient, and it's this. In the end, love is one of the few everlasting ingredients. In the end, love is one of the few everlasting ingredients. As we read our next bit, I think Ned's going to come and do our next bit of Corinthians for us. Yep, do you want to come out? As we read this bit, see if you can spot what happens to Christopher Corinthians' Gifts that he thinks are so cool. See if you can spot what happens to them. I'll be asking somebody a question, so uh, listen carefully. Love never fails, but when there are prophecies, they will cease. When there are tongues, they will be stilled. When there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I tasted... I taught like a child, I fought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now I see but a poor reflection in, in, as in a mirror. Then I shall, shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Great, thank you very much, Ned. So what happens to Chris's treasured gifts, the things that he thinks are really fashionable and make him look good? Did anybody spot it? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Sorry? I didn't quite hear that, Kath. What did you say? It's love one. But what happens to his gifts, the ones that he had that he thought were so good? They disappear. Thank you very much. They disappear. It's there in verse 8. Look, he says they will pass away. They'll be be stilled. They'll cease. In verse 10, it says they'll disappear. But some of them will remain, like Catherine said. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the thing that lasts forever. I guess that means it's well worth us working on the greatest thing, the thing that lasts, bigging up love, trying hard to mix into love, mix into everything that we do, love, because love lasts forever. It's another lesson for Christopher Corinthian, isn't it? If you ditch love, one day you're going to end up looking old-fashioned. One day you're going to end up looking old-fashioned, if not out of fashion altogether. Imagine you, um, you turn up at a friend's party, friend's fancy dress party, you're dressed as Superman. I know it's not hard to imagine. Uh, but you ring the doorbell, knock on the door, the door opens, and there in front of you is your friend dressed in normal clothes. You look behind him and everybody else is in jeans and t-shirts. You're there, Superman. You've read the invite wrong. It's not a fancy dress party at all. 
how bad would that be? You'd feel so stupid. You'd feel so daft and so silly. Well, um, you don't want to end up turning uh, up at a party with the wrong clothes. How to be gifted and useless. Have not love, get rid of it. How to be gifted and selfish, get rid of love. How to be gifted and one day look very, very old-fashioned, get rid of love. Now we started this, um, I'm nearly finished now. We started talking about how we act at parties. Well, you might, be very careful, you'll miss it. But in this letter, in this chapter from 1 Corinthians, there's an invite to a party. It's there in verse 10 and it says this, when perfection comes... When perfection comes. Uh, So uh, it's not just uh, any old party. This is the party. This is the perfect party. And at this party, uh, like uh, a child that grows up, like a a mirror that's been cleaned off, like something that you only saw part of before but now can see the whole thing, we will clearly see what life is all about. And we will, uh, uh, on that day, um, want to be listening. Um, And if you've not listened to anything else this morning... Uh, Listen to this. Paul is very clear about the dress code at this party and about the host, the one who's writing the invites, the one who one day every single one of us will see face to face. Well, the host, he's the man who injected love into absolutely everything uh, that he did so that none of it was useless. He's the man who embodies all those things that we've seen. I've turned it off for some reason. Uh, all those things that we've seen about love from verses 4 to 7. Uh, he, he was selfless, not selfish. In fact, so selfless that he was prepared to die on a cross, as we sang about earlier on, for the way in which we forget to love quite often. He's the man who makes and models love that will never, ever go out of date or get old-fashioned that will satisfy forever. Of course, it's Jesus. Uh, and today, like every day, Jesus puts an invite out there. You know, it's there every day for every single one of us. He says, look, I love you. I know you mess it up. I know you don't love as you should. But I've sorted that. So come on in. Come on in. Come to my party. And the dress code at this party, this perfect party, well, verse 13 of our passage tells us it's the greatest thing. It's love. How good is that? Who wouldn't want to go to a party uh, where everybody is dressed in love? Where love is at the centre? Where love carries on forever? That's the sort of party I want to be at. So what should you do? Well, I reckon two things. First thing is, if you've never accepted this invite, have a really good think about it. It's the best thing you could ever do to trust in Jesus. And the second thing is, if you have accepted it, well, start getting those glad rags of love on now. Uh, Get ready for the party. So, Christopher Corinthian, spend time uh, dressing in uh, lots of love. Uh, Because that way, you'll never be useless. Um, uh, Worried William, uh, take a pinch of love and add it to absolutely everything that you do, all the gifts that you've got, because that way, you'll put other people before yourself, which is good. Um, and uh, ignorant Ian well make sure you stir in love uh, to all you do because what you risk finding out is out of date one day will never be out of date it will always be in fashion you don't want to turn up at this party the one we've talked about feeling like someone 
in brightly coloured lycra with your underpants on the outside. Do you? So think about what you should be worried about most. Um, don't worry about the stuff that you can do. The thing that you should have underneath all your talents, the vital ingredient, the thing that should flavour absolutely everything, is love. And the great thing is, if you've sat there this morning and you've thought, you know what, my love's a little bit on short supply at the moment. Well, Jesus loves us so much that he takes the blame even for that. And he gives you a fresh start. It's there for you right now. And then he supplies the love that drives all those gifts that this church family has. So trust in him. I'm going to pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us first through Jesus so that we can be um, secure and free to love, free to love you back, free to love others as ourselves. I just pray, Lord, you'd help us to do that more and more. In your name. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing...